Welcome back to the Ridcast. This is Isaac Hunter and Parker Stephenson. We're your hosts. Just to recap real quick on the last episode, if you weren't able to listen to it, please go check it out. It was with CJ Edgington and Carson Bird, two of the owners, total studs. The main thing that I took away personally, one of the questions and topics that we talk about talked about was like, did they experience kind of any backlash or any hate going into the podcast or going into setting up red and starting red and honestly for them the answer was no but i feel like a lot of times people do but you see where red is now my main takeaway is don't let anyone kind of stop you from what you want to accomplish what you want to do just go out and get it go give it a listen apple podcast spotify super good so today we have a special episode we have our guy jason wild here another one of the main owners at rid he is our financial guru. So little intro to Jason. He got his bachelor's degree from BYU in accounting, went back and got his master's in accounting as well from BYU. This guy has an amazing track record. So while going to college, he started a loan company called Nice Guy Loans that he built up and sold while in college, which is super cool. And then since then, he started a payroll company and his own tax firm. So He's smashing it. He's killing it. We're super grateful to have him on board. He actually helped start another pest control company called Brooks that recently sold for about $20 million. So a lot of experience from this guy. So with, without further ado, let's let's get into the episode. Let's do it. Three, two, one, zero. We have ignition. Here we go. Episode two. Jason, we have you here, man. Love the intro music. <laughs> Dude, well I, I got to say, I love Carson and CJ to death, but I've been super excited for this episode. Jason's an absolute stud, killer, financial guru, amazing track record is putting it nicely, wouldn't you say? Yeah, modest. It's a modest way to say it. <laughs> I appreciate that, guys. I hope I don't let you down on so, this episode. So, Jace, tell us real quick, because... Correct me if I'm wrong. You're you're one of the old you're one of the older guys with Rid. The oldest guy at Rid. Other than probably by a few years. Maybe like the technicians and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um tell us about your previous like experience before Rid. Okay. I mean, I've always just had an interest in building things and, you know, kind of figuring things out, seeing how things work. So my first year in college, I was working at a payday loan store. And most people aren't familiar with those, but they're just super high interest loans. And back then, I mean, it was only 11 years ago. I guess it's actually crazy. It was 11 years ago at this point, but people still hadn't caught up. Like the one I worked at, people had to come in, fill out a physical application to get a loan, no online payments. They had to bring cash or a check in and just bad customer service, you know? So I worked there for about a year and about a year in, I I was like, dude, I think I could do this. You know, like I think I could do something similar, something a lot better uh, for the customer and use technology, whatever. So I went to my dad. I was like, dad, I need some money. And my dad, you know, I mean, he's done fine for himself, but he's not a man of very significant financial means. So he's like, all right, look, I'll get a HELOC. I'll give you 20 grand. I want 25% and you got to pay the 20 grand back first. So I was like, all right, let's do it. That's kind of a payday loan in and of itself. It, it was, <laughs> it was a, it was a harsh loan from the, from the pops. But I mean, I knew nothing about business at this point. You know, I was seriously just like, First year in college, hadn't even taken any business classes. I was just sitting in astronomy on my laptop, figuring out like how to register a business with the state of Utah and 
how to get registered with the Department of Financial Institutions and just, you know, I was just figuring it out. And so it was really janky in the beginning. So anyway, got the $20,000 loan from my dad, got a website built and you should have seen this website. It was 11 years ago. Things have come a long way. It was the crappiest website you've ever seen in your life, but <laughs> they could take online applications. And, you know, I started just running some Google ads while I'm in class. I met with the radio station and like made myself sound way bigger than I actually was so that they would sell me some radio ad space, started doing radio ads. So anyway, the company was called Nice Guys Loans. And what we did was consolidated people's payday loans. So payday loans, you got to pay them off by your next payday. And what people always end up doing is just refinancing them, getting more and more interest, more and more fees. So we would go in and pay all these payday loans off for them, consolidate them and get them a lot lower interest rate, spread it out over six months instead of just like two weeks. And that's why we're called nice guys because we were the nice guys, right? So anyway, did that during school, hired a couple people to help me along the way. And my last year in school ended up selling it to actually the guy that owns Vasa gyms. Cool. Uh, so if you're ever at Vasa, you'll probably see nice guys loans on the TVs. They still run ads for them at Vasa. So yeah, that company's still going. I didn't get rich off it, you know, but for a college kid, it was good money that I sold it for and kind of allowed me to, you know, get a couple rental properties and get, get things started. Um, I, I got to add, Jason's one of the most humble men you'll ever meet as we, as we keep on talking. So when he says things like amplify that by like at least seven times and then you'll, you'll, you'll be about there. So you can continue. I appreciate that. Not, I wouldn't say seven, but anyway. All right, nine. Raise uh, to the power of 30. So that was awesome. Like like I said, I didn't get rich from it, but it taught me so much. And, you know, we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, but just doing things, it's, it's like you guys with this podcast, you know? I mean, you're just like figured it out and made it happen. And that's where you'll learn the most is just figuring stuff out on your own. So that was a really good experience. Uh, I was in the accounting program, so I finished that up. I went and did an internship at Ernst & Young. Really early on in my internship, I saw, like, this isn't what I want to do. Uh, so I went to a private wealth management firm up in Salt Lake, and I was there for a couple of years, learned a ton just about the markets and, you know, venture capital funds and real estate investment and just all that kind of stuff while I was there. Left there, went to a small accounting firm down in American Fork where I had some equity and ended up leaving there and going out on my own about five years ago. So started a tax and accounting firm. And that's kind of when I got introduced to door to door because one of my buddies was at solar city. He was the VP of like sales operations. So solar city was a publicly traded company. Elon Musk started it and they were delving into door to door. And so he was like, Hey, all these guys need tax help, you know? And I, I seriously had like 10 tax clients at the time. I was just like, yeah, sure. I go to this meeting. I'm thinking there's going to be like 10 or 20 guys there. And it's, Every single regional manager, like every single manager at Solar City out in San Francisco, there's like 250 guys there. I'm just like, geez, nice. in this huge auditorium, my crappy little PowerPoint presentation. But, and, and like I hadn't really been around door to door at all up to that point. But after that meeting, you know, people started hitting me up to their taxes from that appointment and just kind of snowballed from there. And as you guys know, everybody in the door to door world knows everybody else. So just kept growing. Yeah. And you get in with a couple door to door companies. And so that's, that's how I got my tax firm started was from that and got in at Greenix with CJ and Bridger Thomas. And so that's how the tax firm got rolling. That's sweet. I know that was my first introduction to Mr. Jason Wild here. He's, he's been doing my taxes for a couple of years. So it doesn't just stop there. I know you have a payroll company as well. And then we obviously chatted about what you did at Brooks, but I, I think one thing that's that's really cool, and, and we'll definitely talk about this, 
but like you were, you were definitely in a really great spot with your businesses. And so it, it'll be fun to kind of hear your perspective of, you know, why you'd, you've wanted to take the role that you have at RID and kind of the potential you see in there. But um, I think this is a perfect segue kind of into the next thing. I don't know. Do you want to talk at all more about that payroll company? I mean, like everything else started doing payroll kind of on the side and it just kind of took off. And that, that's, you know, that's kind of how things usually end up going. You know, you don't know what it's going to be, but you just kind of put your head down and start doing it and, and it ended up taking off. So the, the one thing I do have to mention, because CJ, I need to give CJ some props. So right as I went out on my own, CJ and I, we're with a little company called Insure Financial. Not sure if you guys have heard of that one. I have heard he of it. He did mention that in the last so podcast. So I was running the call center there. And I, I was doing my taxes and my payroll and everything during the day. And then running Insure Financial in the evenings when uh, the guys would go out and knock. That lasted like a month, I think. And they ended up shutting it down. But CJ and I kept going. So I would go home at night and just get on my computer and get on the phone with CJ and he would go knock by himself and I would just run the insurance quotes and find the policy, the insurance policies right there. So that was like my first actual foray into being involved in the door to door business every day was CJ knocking doors while I was on the phone with him. So, so to segue into this whole conversation, what do you like about the door to door industry? You've kind of been all over the place. You've kind of done a lot of different things, a lot, obviously financially tailored, but what is it about the door to door industry that's kept you here? The thing I love about door to door, well, unless you know how to code or you're really good with online advertising, and even that can be really difficult. In my opinion, there's no better way to just go put on a lot of revenue really fast than door to door. Like you can't match it. You know, for, for the amount of time and effort you have to put in to build up an online presence or to, you know, the amount of money you have to dump into doing Google ads for any type of business, nothing compares to how quickly you can scale a door-to-door company if you have the sales force. So that's, that's what I think is just awesome about it. And I, I love the type of people that are in the door-to-door industry. The guys that stick around in the door-to-door industry are super hard workers. They eat what they kill, you know, they don't. They're not entitled. They don't expect something for nothing. They know what they're worth. And I just like being around the the atmosphere that that creates. I love that. Yeah. Well, one thing adds a lot of value, I think, to RID and what we're building is kind of your skill set that you bring to the table. I know Carson and CJ, they're obviously amazing at recruiting. They've done door-to-door for a bunch of years, but they definitely don't have your background in accounting and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that's probably a lot of the value you added at Brooks with helping them start kind of from the financial side of things. And so one thing that I think would be great for our audience is hearing kind of what you learned at Brooks and going through that and kind of what you've brought to RID to do different or better to help us just be the best. Yeah, definitely. My role at Brooks definitely was not as large as it is here, but in the beginning it kind of was. I remember Eric Campbell, I was doing his taxes for a couple of years and he called me up and was like, dude, let's go to lunch. And we went to Habit Burger in American Fork. And he was like, I'm starting a, uh, my own company, my own pest company. Do you want to do it with me? Do you want to be the CFO? I was like, sure, dude. I had no idea like what that entailed, you know, but I just thought, you know, this seems like a good opportunity. Anybody who knows Eric, he's just the ultimate grinder, ultimate hustler. So like, I was like, this, this he's going to make this happen, you know? So it was awesome 
to get that experience because right from the beginning, I just saw like, oh, here's this licensing that you have to get with the state of California that I have never heard of. So I just had to go on their website, make phone calls, try to talk to the right person, see who you could get through to to figure out what you have to do here. Send the filing in, get it rejected with errors so that you know what you're doing, you know, and it's just a lot of trial and error that we had to go through there. And those guys are awesome, dude. I have so much respect for them and what they did. They didn't know what they were doing either, you know, but they just put their heads down and grinded and obviously did with it what we all hope we can do with a business at some point, you know, with the exit that they had. I learned a ton and and mostly it was just the basics of pest routes, the basics of the sales tax issues surrounding pest control and the basics of how to register pest control companies with each individual state and all that kind of stuff. How to model the financial side of it, you know, because there's so much that goes into your own pest control company so many different types of expenses and when the cash flow timing is and being able to see that up close definitely helped a ton here. I mean, I think the Brooks guys would all tell you that they do a lot of stuff way different now than they did in the beginning. And it's just because nobody knew, you know, so I, I feel really lucky that I got to see that firsthand because otherwise I wouldn't have known what I didn't know. So totally. Yeah, it was a good experience. Yeah, that's awesome. So coming from Brooks, you're obviously here at RID now. How did you end up at RID? Kind of tell us that real quick, because again, you could have done a ton of different things. You know, you're the one that's always kind of grinding in the office. I think a lot of people see with recruiting meeting, all the sales reps get to know CJ and Carson and all the other leaders and owners in the company and the, the team leads and things like that. But I wish everybody could get to know you a little bit better too, because when I made the decision to come to RID, like you were a big part for me, because again, I saw CJ, I saw Carson, but then to see that you had already done this once, you'd already been through Brooks, you had exited successfully and then started here. So I guess what made you make the jump to RID? And I guess what was like one of the biggest lessons you learned from Brooks that you've now taken here that's that you've applied to make RID the best? Yeah, so CJ and Carson came to me one day. Well, I mean, we'd always kind of talked about it. CJ's my brother-in-law. Carson grew up across the street from me. So we've been in contact our whole lives. You know, I mean, uh, CJ was friends with my little brother growing up also. So we've been talking for years and it's always been thrown around like, oh, it'd be sweet to start our own. Jason, would you want to come over with us if we did? You know, whatever. So we'd always thrown that around. And then one day it was like, oh, Greenix just told us that we have to cut our Salesforce or 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 get out of here, you know, basically. So we're doing it. And I was just like, all right, I'm in. I mean, it, because I had been thinking about it for so long, it wasn't even a hesitation. I was just like, yeah, let's do it. So, I mean, we drove over to WeWork that day, looked around at a few different office spaces and just got the office space and went and bought some computers at Best Buy and started rolling, you know. I think the thing that I learned the, the most at Brooks was just you have to be so meticulous with pest control in your projections because attrition is real and you have to consider that and you have to really be honest with the numbers that you're considering when you're running through that, you know, cash flow is king. And people always say cash is king in pest control. I'd say cash flow is king. That's why we monthly bill. Uh, That's the main reason we monthly bill is because just getting the cash in the door. There's so many day-to-day expenses with a pest control company that the faster you can get cash in the door, Uh, It just makes a huge difference in the stress level and just in the health of the company. So that was the biggest thing I learned. And it's kind of how it got going. And from there, I mean, it's crazy that it's been as long as it's been and how much has happened since then. Because it seems like it was just seriously last week that we rolled up to WeWork and got out and was like, hey, we have a pest control company, even though we didn't yet. And got the office space and started rolling. It is crazy. 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think it's already been over a year and uh, just everything that we've done. And I, I know I could speak personally too. I think, I mean, I don't have as much as a finance background like Isaac does, you know, with his finance major. But I think one thing that's been cool for me, kind of in the position I'm in, is seeing all the cool little things that Jason brings to the table that we're implementing to make our company grow healthier, to grow better, and just to overall just be not only better for the sales reps, but better for us as owners, which is really, really cool. As an owner, you know, I have so much confidence having this guy steering our ship. So it's getting to the right place. It's true, man. So to kind of segue into that, we kind of wanted to just pick your brain a little bit too today, just because you do have a ton of experience and there's a lot of things that I wish I would have known getting into the industry and even like year one, year two, year three, that if I would have known, maybe I would have done things a little bit differently, especially since a lot of kids coming out of high school, first year or two in college don't know how to handle their money properly. Like financial IQ isn't something that's really taught, you know? So what's some advice for any rep that's listening to this, that's starting to get into the industry that does really well, all of a sudden is sitting on all this money and then it's just sitting in a checking account. Yeah. You know, like what's some advice that you'd give anybody, honestly, on this is what you should be doing to not only be successful in the industry or with the amount of money that you make from the industry, but on top of that, what's some advice you have there? Yeah. I mean, I would say the biggest thing is a couple of things. Have a plan and then don't be afraid to just try it out. You know, like when I bought my first rental property, I, I had no idea what I was doing, you know, and I didn't know if the market was high, low. Everybody was saying it was high. This was 10 years ago. Now that it's probably, I, I sold it a few years ago, but it's probably worth more than double what I paid for it. You know, it's like, don't be afraid to just get in and give it a try. Don't bankrupt yourself buying your first rental property, you know, but don't sit on the sidelines and just be like, Ooh, I'm going to try to time this market. I'm going to wait for a big dip. Usually the people that do that end up missing out and it's better to get in at the wrong time than to just not get in at all. Cause you're probably not going to be able to time it. That's just my opinion. It's really difficult to time that type of thing. And then also when I say have a plan and stick to it, there will be things that come up along the way that don't conform to your plan. And that's fine. You know, make the decision at the time, but have a plan, whether it's, Hey, I'm going to throw 200 bucks a month into the market and just never even think about it again, or $2,000 a month or whatever it is, you know, everybody's financial situation is different. But I think the major regret you'll have is just not doing anything and not trying it out. I started putting money in the market. Like when I was probably a year into college and I pulled it out three months later and then put some back. Like I've probably been in and out completely of the stock market three different times just because I was testing things out, you know, but the knowledge that you build from that is, is worth, even if you're losing money, you know, I mean, the knowledge that you gain from that is worth it in my opinion. So don't be afraid to get started is kind of the main advice I would give. And then the other is there's no replacement. There's no substitute for just more income. You know, I mean, people over the years with tax planning and stuff have come to me and been like, dude, I want to figure out, you know, how I can get X amount for retirement. And it's like, you're making 25 grand a year, you know? So honestly, you just need to worry about covering your, your living expenses at this point. I, I, I'm not like a big Dave Ramsey guy necessarily, but the one thing I do agree with that he says all the time is you just got to find a way to make more income, whether it's just, you know, in the door to door industry, just recruiting harder or knocking more doors or whatever it is. He always tells people go deliver pizzas at night on the side. You know, there's no substitute for just extra income because that money is what's going to be able to be invested and make you wealthy someday. 
you know, and if you're just making enough to scrape by a hundred bucks a month in the stock market, while it's good to get it there, it's not going to, you're not going to retire off of putting a hundred dollars a month into the stock market, you know? So for sure. The three things that come to me, let's see if I can remember them just as you were talking, dude, you, you, literally whenever, anytime Jason speaks, it just gets me going. Like I just, the juices start flowing. By still over some there, away. <laughs> you talked about real estate. I don't know if you saw Business Insider, I believe it was, said that Salt Lake's projected in 2022 to be the 15.2% increase in the real estate market. Really? Number I did, one. I didn't see that. Over Boise. The second thing you talked about, kind of jumping in and out of the, the stock market a few times. I almost did that yesterday because we had the CPI reading come out today, if you saw that. And it actually was bad for those that didn't know inflation is real. It, you know, there is it's not, not inflation. Yeah. The stock market actually did okay today. Didn't do bad. But that's something that I've learned too is like just put your money in and let it sit, especially if it's just sitting in, you know, an index fund or like an ETF or something like that. Just put it in and let it sit. Like, that's yeah, you're not going to be able to time it, right? Like, it's almost impossible. <laughs> I first started getting into investing January of 2020, like literally two months, three months before COVID. So, that's what I feel like I went wrong. And for a lot of guys, like you can't time it, you know, lost a lot of money for a sec, but you know, if it just sat there, I'd still would be, be, yeah, you'd be way up way in the clear. There's a good book. Speaking of the stock market, a random walk down wall street. It's one of my favorite books. And it, it talks about how 1% of mutual funds beat the market, beat the S and P 500. And these are guys making millions of dollars a year. It's their entire profession. It's all they do eight hours a day. Every day is try to beat the market and 1% of them beat the market. So why like consistently like year over year too. Yeah. So like, why do you think you're going to do it? Sit in your living room, you know, like with no experience, you might get lucky for six months or a year or whatever, but eventually the market wins, just leaving your money in the market wins almost every time. Yeah. And then, sorry, the last thing that I was going to say with like make more income, well, people always like make the argument, well, you're going to get taxed more, but you're only get taxed incrementally based on like the tier that you're in. So like once you make a certain amount, you're only taxed on that certain amount above that tier, if that makes sense. So by all means, Jason, just drop some bombs, go make as much money as you possibly can. Yeah. No substitute for just making more money. Like if you see someone who is retiring well, they probably didn't do it strictly from just investing smartly. They probably made a lot of money along the way and worked really hard and just did whatever they could to increase their income. Peace, Let's make some predictions. When do, when do you think Jason's going to be retired by? Jason probably could retire right now if he wanted. <laughs> probably could. <laughs> I but mean, I might be able to, but it would be a very bad retirement. It would be a very meager retirement. <laughs> I I love all those things. I think that was that was awesome. And honestly, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, Jason sounds like he's not afraid to make some money. He's not afraid to make some money, man. He's not. He's not. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Yeah, don't be afraid to make some money. Just put your head down and and do what it takes. And I think looking at Jason's history and I think a lot of the other, you know, successful people that, you know, are, are in various different industries or things like that, like... A lot of times, I mean, yeah, maybe they had some specific like skills that were better than others, but in majority of the cases, like there's no secrets. It's just like hard work. Like they were just willing to just like put their heads down and just grind to like make it happen and figure it out along the way. Right. And then yep. in, in most of the time, in, in most of the cases they do just because they're doing what most other people aren't willing to do, which yep. is just make it happen. Luck definitely plays a factor. You know, I mean, a guy that goes out and makes $50 million in his lifetime versus a guy that makes a million, they might both be working really hard and really smart. But sometimes you need a little luck. There's no question about that. But I do really believe if you work as hard as you can and just try to figure things out, you're going to succeed. And 
you know, whether you become a billionaire or not, you can't guarantee that kind of wealth, you know, because there is a lot of luck involved. But I do truly believe that you have to just put forth a tremendous amount of effort and try things. Just try things that you're uncomfortable with. Love it. There's a saying, and me, one of you guys can probably help me with this, but it's like luck is like where hard work meets preparation or something like that. Yeah, I think that's true. But it's just like, you, I mean, in some scenarios, you can kind of make your luck by being prepared and then kind of, you know, being in the right place at the right time. So yep. another question that that we want you to dive into a little bit more, you know, most people chase being rich, which is kind of that short term money and things like that, but only wealth lasts as we know. And so in your opinion, what is the, what is some good ways to be financially free to free, I guess you could say, and then to find that wealth? Like I said, I think a plan is huge, you know? Um, I mean, it's pretty easy and Isaac does this all day in school to run some numbers. Like if I put X amount into whatever the investment might be per month for X amount of time, you know, what's it going to be in 25 years? And I think that's the biggest part is give it time. It's so, it's so hard to think about 25 years from now, you know, and, and it just seems like forever, but the last 10 years of my life have just absolutely flown by. If you look at guys in this industry who have been really successful, none of them are, you know, on their second year. Most of them aren't even on their third year. You know, most guys who have had a lot of success and been able to save up a lot of money and invest and get a house and all that stuff are on their fourth, fifth, sixth year. And they probably, a lot of them had really crappy first years and second years and it was really hard and they wanted to quit several times, you know? So there's no substitute for more income, but also just time, letting things ride and putting your head down and working hard. And as the time goes by, one day you'll lift your head up and just be like, oh, wow, I've saved up all this money or I've, I've accumulated these investments or I've gained these skills that now make me a valuable asset to someone else so that I can go get that huge break that I was looking for. You know, that's the other thing. Like there's, there's no downside to just putting your head down and working hard. You might feel like you're wasting your time sometimes, you know, cause you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm not making the money I want to make. I'm not getting to where I want to be, but you're building skills and you're building tenacity and you're building all these things that will actually make you really valuable to someone so that maybe when your uncle does decide he wants to go start some business, he wants you to come be the president of sales. Or maybe when your regionals at Greenix decide they want to go start their own pest control company, they want you to come start a branch for them, you know, because they saw that you were the one that was, that was grinding. And then you catch your big break. There's never a downside to just putting your head down and, and working hard and, and giving it everything you've got. Yeah. There's a reason it's called get rich quick and not get wealthy quick. It's yeah, like that's a great think, point. You think about like a lot of athletes even too, and kind of the, the path that they follow, like the first that comes to mind and honestly wish him the best and he's doing good. But like Delonte West, you think about him and you know, the success that he had, he was with the Cavs with LeBron. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see him on the streets and stuff too. And he wasn't able to manage his money, right? He had tons of money, tons of money. Dude could have retired probably was the $50 million guy and didn't manage it well and used it as, you know, he, he was rich rather than, than wealthy. That happens to a smaller scale, a lot in door to door, you know, I mean, you get some 19 year old kid who has never had a job and he goes out and crushes it and makes $90,000 in a summer or whatever it, it might be. And, uh, comes home and the next summer he's like, got none of it left, Loves you know? It. Yeah. And it's, it's not even their fault most of the time. It's just because they they haven't gotten the education around that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's another big one, I think, is just constantly be educating yourself on finances. Talk to people who who know what they're talking about. 
Yeah, that's why we want to have this podcast, man, especially for anyone in the industry, because I still think there's a ton of reps that, you know, obviously I'm not saying that I know everything, but a ton of reps still just don't have the knowledge of what to do with their money. But the other thing, too, that I want to say to just talk about RID, too, like, and the way RID's structured, it starts from the top down and with the way you guys have created not only the culture, which we talked a lot about in the last episode, again, go listen to that, but two the way that we have ownership structured, that's wealth. That's something that'll pay passively versus going and doing this summer after summer and the rat chase that never ends. Because once you get a little taste of the success and the, the money that there is from the industry, if you do do well with it, it's hard to stop. Yeah. You know, like I never thought I would be in this position doing this job at this point. I really thought sales was going to be a means to an end. I saw the opportunity and that's why I, if you just want to speak to this real quick about the branch model and you know why you guys structured it the way that you did, but that's the difference. And that's what sets it apart is wealth versus, you know, rich, like we've been talking about. Yeah. The hardest part about the door-to-door industry is having to re-recruit. It's really competitive, you know, every year. You never like to have your guys get home from the summer and then just go shopping, you know. Also, having to go out and knock every year. I never knocked, but it looks really hard. I'm sure, you, grind, guys, for sure. sure you guys can vouch. So we, I mean, we just wanted to come up with a way, like wh- how can we make it so that if someone goes out and busts it for three, four years, they actually built something that is theirs. You know, they're not going to have to worry every summer. Like, Oh, I got to go re recruit my whole team. I got to go find 10 more recruits this year. I got to go find 25 more recruits this year just to make what I made last year because commissions are rising and all that kind of stuff. And more just, Hey, if I go out and do this and put my head down and grind, I'm actually building something for myself along the way. It's not perfect yet. You know, I mean, we're always making tweaks to the model and we don't know everything obviously, but we think it's going to be a way to really build long-term wealth and long-term income and everything that most people are trying to get out of this. So, and it's, and it's available for everybody that meets the requirements. So all that. Thanks, Jason. So one last thing that that we'll touch on here is another trait that we love about Jason and that's how generous he is. He's always finding ways to give back to his guys and, and make them feel valued and taken care of. So I think that's, that's a trait that is really unique, especially in this industry. I feel like a lot of guys kind of get greedy and, you know, it's all about them or it's all about, their deal or, or their their money where where Jason's all about giving giving back and I think that's huge. So I guess for you personally, Jason, like what is like the importance that you have on like giving back and generosity and then how has that come back to benefit you in your life? Yeah, I kind of talked about it a little bit as far as you know luck playing a factor. Another book recommendation. This book truly changed the way I viewed the world. It's called Fooled by Randomness. And I feel really lucky with the opportunities I've had. And yeah, I've worked really hard, but so have a lot of other people and they haven't had the same opportunities I've had. And that's kind of the prism I try to view life through is like, hey, I'm doing my best for sure, but there's a lot of other people who are also doing their best and just for whatever reason haven't been able to catch the breaks that I've been able to catch, you know? Uh, And maybe they're not even trying their best, but they still, you know, because a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, well, it's their fault. They're not working as hard as they can. But you never know someone's situation, you know. And so I always try to take that approach as like, I don't know why someone is where they are. I know that I'm where I am a lot due to opportunities that have been given to me that other people haven't had. And so I just try to use that mindset when dealing with other people. And that just causes you to, when, when you view it as, hey, everything I've gotten, I didn't just earn, you know. I, I did, but I had some 
some help along the way, or I had, or I caught some lucky breaks or even just, you know, where we're born and when we're born and all that kind of stuff. If you view it that way, it makes you want to help other people out a lot more that don't maybe have those same opportunities. And I mean, it's really cliche, but it just feels really good. Giving something that you really liked away to someone, you know, it actually feels really good or, you know, helping people out financially or or whatever it might be. And I don't want to come off as I'm some, you know, huge philanthropist, like, donating millions of dollars to charity but you know it, it does just feel good and mostly I do it because I, I do recognize like hey that person if they had all the opportunities I had maybe they'd be in the exact same spot you know and and if I was in their position it would be awesome if somebody would help me out you know and help me get to where I was trying to go so that's what it's all about right there 100% down when we had the leadership retreat I'm just thinking about this Jason we were sitting by the pool and Micah Dassault was there. And I mean, I don't know if I can t- tell the story perfectly, but it was a pair of blenders. Is that correct? Yeah. Nice little pair of blender sunglasses. And Micah just put them on, thought they were dope. They started talking. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jason's like, keep them, man. Just keep them. And I was just like, dude. That's where I first saw Jason was just totally willing, totally open to, to giving. And honestly, it impacts a lot of other people, whether you see it or not. And that's, that's what I think is important. That's what this is all about. The whole conversation today is all about giving back. You're one of the owners, one of the founders of RID. And again, you look at where RID is. And like I said before, culture is from the top bottom. And uh, you guys have just done an amazing job of creating that, creating a culture of giving back. I I appreciate you telling that story, dude. Um, But I got to mention, Matt Shirley saw me do that and he gave me his Ray-Bans right after that. So well, there we go. Top I actually, bottom. Top I actually came out pretty good. And, uh, you know, Matt is a very generous guy as well. So, but yeah, I'm surprised that you remember that. I remember that too. I think it was what entertained me a lot too, was just seeing how stoked Micah was. <laughs> he, he lit up like a Christmas tree when he got those, those glasses. And, and I mean, you see the ripple effect, right? Someone saw something nice happening and then they did something nice. And I think it's kind of that ripple effect that extends. And one thing that I love is, you know, just the saying, like, you take care of your guys and they're going to take care of you, right? When you have that giving mindset and, you know, you're taking them and, you know, in a lot of cases, maybe sometimes putting them above yourself. I mean, I'm sure you probably wouldn't have minded keeping those glasses, right? But, you know, doing those little things makes them feel valued and appreciated and then they're going to take care of you. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm one of the things that I always try to remember is just, like when you're loyal to someone else, they want to be loyal to you, you know? And and that's really what everybody wants is someone that they know 100%, no matter what, they have my back, right? And they're loyal to me no matter what. No matter what else comes their way, what other deals come their way or, or whatever, they have my best interest in mind. And if you're willing to do that for other people, they're usually willing to be that person for you, you know? So I can't say enough about that. Of that. So just to wrap up, Jace, give us... One last little nugget of wisdom. You've been around the block. You've got a lot of experience under your belt. For us newer guys in the industry, you know, haven't been around for too long, want to be successful. What do you got for us? This has become like my thing at RID. I I feel like people are probably sick of hearing me say this. And CJ and Carson, like anytime we're in a meeting and this type of a question comes up, they know what I'm about to say. So they probably just roll their eyes like, oh, here we go again. But I really think like to get anywhere worthwhile in life, there's going to be a period of time that sucks, whether it's school. I mean, looking back, I actually wish I could go back to school. It wasn't that bad. It's a lot less, you know, it's actually more fun than you think once you get out. But school's a grind, right? The first few years on the doors are a grind. Trying to recruit guys so that you actually have 
a decent team is a grind. Your first five, six years in a corporate job, whether you think it's just, oh, I wish I could just go work nine to five in an office, sounds great, you know, rather than knocking doors. The first five or six years in a corporate job are going to suck, you know, it's going to be a grind. And so I really think no matter what you do in life, that's going to be worthwhile at some point, unless you just get totally lucky and win the lottery or, you know, your rich uncle that you didn't know about gives you $10 million. There's going to be a period of time that kind of sucks that you just have to put your head down and grind and learn and make yourself valuable. Because before that period of time, you're usually not really valuable to anyone from a business standpoint. You know, you don't know anything, you don't have much experience, but if you get that experience and get that knowledge through that hard period, it almost always pays off. And once you get past that period, it starts to pay off in huge multiples. You know, like one year you get through that sucky period, have a really good year. And then the next year you double what you did the year before. And the next year you double that and then triple that. And it starts to really compound on itself once you get through that time where you're grinding. So don't try to skip the grind. Just embrace it. Embrace that time period. Learn as much as you can. Work as hard as you can. Set yourself up for as many opportunities as you can so that when the big one comes along, you're ready to take it and you're you're valuable to somebody. I love that. And I just think of like, this is a, a cliche analogy, but like you think of a diamond and like how a diamond's made, you know, it's formed under heat and pressure and it doesn't look very cool before. It's not really valuable, but after that period of heat and pressure, it's a super valuable, beautiful stone, right? Yep. So. Absolutely, dude. Because everybody whose position you're trying to get to, you might not think about it because you just see this guy who's up there and he owns the company or or, or whatever, or your dad and he, he's made tons of money. He went through that period. You know, and going through that period, they know so much more, have so much more experience or whatever that you just don't have yet, you know, and there's no shortcut to it. There's no shortcut to making a, di a real diamond, right? You, it has to go through that. So totally great cliche analogy, dude. Appreciate it, man. Well, Jason, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for all that you added. This was an awesome podcast. And uh, from what it sounds like, pretty much everything Jason touched turns us gold. So I'm grateful There's, he's here at Ridge. There have been some failures along the way. <laughs> I can tell you about on a different pod. But, uh, you know, we're super lucky to have him here. And with that, we'll, we'll end this episode. Appreciate it, Jason. Thanks, guys.